Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samoz. And I am here with my co-host, Denise Borges. Welcome, Denise. How are you? I'm doing great. And how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Fantastic. So our guest today is Adam Medeiros from the Kings County Board of Education. And for those of you unfamiliar with where Kings County is, it is in the uh, southern southern part of California, not quite as far as L.A., but down near Fresno, uh, Tulare, if I'm not mistaken. Is that completely right? right. Yes. Okay. The west, west, right. west side of the San Joaquin Valley, kind of. Right. And so um, welcome, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, no, it's my pleasure. I've been excited. I, you know, I, I don't get interviewed very often, for one. <laughs> you know, being Portuguese, they say I talk too much, but I, I, I don't believe it. Well, you know, on a on a podcast like this, talking too much is much better than not talking enough. So we'll put your skills to good use. So, you know, let's just uh, have you tell our listeners a little bit about your Portuguese heritage, uh, mostly just because we, you know, some of us are third generation like myself and then others are immigrants like like Denise. So, you know, we run lots of different generations. So, uh, you know, where does your family come from? And then also a little bit about your path to public service. Well, good. No, not no problem. Uh, you you want me to do it in English or in Portuguese, though? Well, I'm impressed that you could do both because I can't. But so let's do both. Let's do English. <laughs> yeah, okay. English it'll be because I wanted. And my wife said, you know, she said, man, you haven't spoke Portuguese, you know, for a long period of time. In in a long time, uh-huh. can you still do it? Yeah, it's a piece of cake. I love it. But but anyway, well, English it will be okay. Uh, yeah. No, we immigrated here in 1963. My dad, uh, Antonio uh, Maderas, and my mother, Violet, uh, were really just looking for a better a better life. You know, we were in the Azor Islands, and uh, they were having a hard time uh, feeding six children and two mm-hmm. adults. And so um, we immigrated here into the U.S. I was uh, just a little over two years old when we came. Okay. And so I'm still first generation. Uh, but I, I love my roots. I love the stories that, you know, my dad and, and mother would tell us. And, and they were always really, my, my dad especially was just really, um, just always pretty adamant that we always spoke Portuguese. And so he was very uh, concerned about his heritage and didn't want to lose it. He said we were here in America, but we were still Portuguese. And so uh, I, I've tried to hold on to that. And he only spoke to us in, in Portuguese, even after we were here, you know, 20, 30 years. He only spoke in Portuguese to us. And so uh, we kept our language and we kept our heritage a little bit closer. I have to say, I'm really happy to hear that because too often we hear about folks that immigrated around that time where there was such a concern about assimilating and not being singled out that, hey, we're only speaking English, right? So uh, exactly. I'm, I'm happy to hear your, your father was a smart man. <laughs> yeah, and and I and I do enjoy it now as I look back and uh, you know the stories that he was able to tell us about you know being on the islands and 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 how bad you know how bad it was at times, but but they were it was a simple life mm-hmm. and 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 he really did uh, talk highly of it. My mother was from one island; she was from the island of Santa Maria, and my dad was from the island of San Miguel. Hmm. And so uh, he went. I don't know. I think he was in a 
early 30s and he went visiting in Santa Maria and met my mom and the, and the rest is history. So we're a mingling of two islands, but still very Portuguese and, uh, and, and very traditional. So I know we asked you about your, um, your path, but I'm actually just curious now. So how has speaking Portuguese helped you since you've been speaking it so, from a young age? Do you feel that that has helped you in your career path, maybe in school? Um, how has Absolutely. that helped you? Oh, it's been a tremendous help. Uh, now, of course, I, I'm a hairdresser by trade. So oh, I cut hair. Great. And, uh, and I've, done that, I've done that now. Actually, um, actually, this week I will be uh, cutting hair in Hanford for 40 years now. And it, it's been an amazing business for me. And, and I love it. And mm-hmm. my Portuguese language. I think helped me out so much in the early days because there's just so many Portuguese people that live here in Hanford mm-hmm. in the Kings County area that they wanted to come to somebody that they could actually communicate and explain what they would like. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult if you don't speak the language well and you're going to get a haircut and you're trying to explain to them what you want. <laughs> now, of course, this is an era before cell phones where you just bring in a hundred pictures. Right. But, uh, <laughs> and so in that area, it was very helpful to me. And I still have a large, uh, a large Portuguese base as clients that uh, some of them speak no English. And uh, they're comfortable coming in because uh, I can understand what they're saying and they can understand me back. So it's been very helpful. Very, very helpful. Well, and also your, your hairdresser or your barber often becomes almost part of your extended family, right? They get to know everything about you and they become good friends. So that would help as well. Yeah. And they've even a couple of times have called me in when I was on the King's River board, uh, have called me in. Sometimes they needed an interpreter or they needed somebody to, you know, find out what's going on. If they had a new family that didn't speak much English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's been very helpful to me in just about every aspect of, uh, of life. I'm a huge proponent on, uh, on multiple languages. I mm-hmm. think uh, we do a disservice to our children in school by, by not offering enough language choices for them to learn. And it should be, I believe it should be mandated just to have more languages that you can speak just helps you understand a little bit better the whole language. Sure. No, I, I totally agree. So let's use that as a, so tell us a little bit about your path to the Board of Education. And then, and then let's talk about language and, and um, how the Kings County Board of Education has addressed that issue. Good. Absolutely. So one, I started out in, in public service at King River Hardwick. And it, again, it's a small school and we're in a rural country school. It's very small. And so there's not a lot of people willing to take that position and, and sit on the board because there really is no benefit to it. I mean, you don't get any perks. You just uh, takes up a lot of your time. And there's usually somebody always, you know, disappointed with the decisions made. And so you're trying to explain yourself. But I felt it was a calling. I felt I needed to be there. I needed to give a little bit of guidance. And so, so I got in. And so I, um, golly, I, I, I was trying to think of what year that was. But that had to be, I started on the board out at Kings River. Uh, had to be early 2000s, probably 2003 or four. Because there was a need, there was a, a, a hole in the spot, and, and not too many people were eager to take that position to just give back and not receive anything else. So I got involved. I had three children attending there, and I felt that if you have kids in the school, you should be part of it and be part of the decision process. And so um, that's where it all got started. And I served there for 
10 years, at least a hair over 10 years. And we went through uh, three superintendents. Uh, so there's a change of leadership. And it's always uh, amazing to be part of that process to, to choose the next leader that is going to implement, you know, the learning procedure of that district. And, and that's a huge responsibility. And I think that uh, goes understated many times with a lot of school boards. They don't realize the, the tremendous impact they have by choosing, uh, hiring the right superintendent that leads your school into that, the proper education that California really needs. From the uh, Kings River Hardwood School District, very small. I'd be, uh, I think, I feel compelled to say that I attended uh, Kings River School um, in the seventh grade. So it's a very, very small school. I'm sure it has grown from you know the 1970s, but uh, still a very small school. From that uh, to the Kings County Office of Ed, which is uh, much larger because your, uh, I, I know that you guys are broken down by districts. And the total area is just huge as far as all the districts combined. And so what is the, what is the role of the Kings County Office of Ed uh, in providing uh, the education for students outside of the cities of uh, Hanford, Lamore, right? Absolutely. No, it, okay. it, it's the entire county. So, yeah, you're, you're looking at, you know, we're, we're, we're covering education in, in Avenel, Corcoran, Hanford, uh, Lemoore, Armona. You know, it's the entire county. And so the, the scope is definitely larger, but my responsibilities are actually less. Uh, let me explain that. On Kings River Hardwick, we are the governing board, and uh, you're in there, and you are actually hiring the superintendent. You are actually giving direction on how that school will function in education. On the Kings County Board of Education, we are now the governing board, but we are really limited in what we do because the superintendent is now elected by the people. So it's a different format. He no longer works for the board as the superintendent did at Kings River. He is now elected by the people. We cannot fire the superintendent of Kings County because he's elected by the people himself. And so it's a little bit of a different dynamic. Uh, Kings River, yes, a small school. Uh, right now, probably when you were there, they probably had two, 250 people at their school. And right now they're, they're probably seeing about 800 people, uh, wow. 800 students. Uh, so they have grown. But when you look over at Kings County Office of Ed, our population is 28,000. So we have about 28,000 students that now we're overseeing. But the role is so different. We really, as at, at the Kings County Office of Education, we really function as a, really kind of an, an, an appellate board where if there's a dispute, if there's a problem, they can appeal to the board and then we will sit in almost like the judge and determine if it was done right or not. Uh, my role at, King, at, at the county is much, much different than it was on the Kings River Board. Yeah, and let me ask you, based on that, so as you mentioned, you're the entire uh, area of Kings County, and that includes some cities, and that includes, of course, uh, all these districts that are either unified or such as the Hanford High School District, et cetera. How, how does that work? What is your interchange between the Kings County Office of Education, for example, board, and the board at uh, Hanford High School? Yeah, not a lot, other than being the appellate board. So like okay. if, say... Uh, somebody is at Hanford West and they want to attend Hanford High and they go through the process and Hanford High says, no, you can't come here because blah, blah, blah. They can appeal to us as the county board and then the county board can review 
the actual needs of the of the child and say, you know what? No, that kid needs to be at Hanford High. He has interest in, in ag, he has interest in whatever. There's a lot of different areas. And then we will actually be the final say on that. So we can overturn uh, what the local board says according to uh, interdistrict transfers and expulsions. I see. I see. And, um, you know, as uh, Angela mentioned, um, and uh, being that you are a native speaker of Portuguese, Portuguese language education is, of course, very near to my heart. Listeners of, of the uh, Politicus podcast know why. I mean, I've taught it Portuguese for 22 years, uh, well, actually now almost 25 years, and so it's been a part of who I am, and one of my missions in life, of course, and one of the missions of Falcus, and that's one of the reasons why I'm on the board, is, of course, to foster the teaching of the Portuguese language. And, uh, and it can be done in a various ways. It doesn't mean it has to be a formal classroom setting. It can be in many ways, and Falcus has done a great job in uh, promoting different innovative ways to do that. My, my question to you is, obviously, uh, here in the San Joaquin Valley, where there's still a very uh, strong Portuguese-American community, you mentioned Kings River area, and you mentioned the whole entire Kings County. Uh, one of the things that's always appalled me is that there is no public school at all in Kings County that teaches Portuguese at all. Not uh, and that and and now, as you know, most unfortunately, most of the programs that are teaching language are at the high school level. Tulare has all three high schools teaching Portuguese, over 450 students. And uh, for those who don't know the geography that well, Tulare is only 20 some miles from Hanford. And so uh, we're the neighboring county to Kings County. And so uh, the neighbors uh, don't have any Portuguese education at all. How do you think the community, as someone who's been part of the community, as someone who's been you know, involved, as you know, it was uh, it was different for you and I because we were born in Portugal and we came over here and we knew the language and our parents insisted on continuing the language. But as Angela mentioned, in her case, you know, her mother, her folks were already born here. And and as my uh, children who spoke Portuguese still do, but my grandchildren don't. And so as we have now children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren of immigrants who would like to have access to the language, how do you think uh, I know that's not a decision you can make, so I'm going to put already set that up. But how do you think the community in Kings County and actually in other counties as well can work towards having more access to Portuguese education at uh, at whatever level of education we have? Yeah, all all education is is difficult in today's um, today's scenarios. But uh, yes, I I believe it's a great lack, like you do. When I was in high school in 76 through 1980, we had Portuguese. And even though I was fluent, I took Portuguese just to keep my language better. So I, I studied for, you know, three of my four years, I took Portuguese classes uh, because I wanted it to be part of my history. But yes, we would not have any authority as Kings County Board to oversee that. But that would be something that the local boards do have. I am very well connected to the Hanford High Board and have voiced my disapproval of not offering Portuguese. I mm. believe Portuguese, uh, not only does it help the individual student, but again, it, it's, I understand a lot of Spanish because the Portuguese and Spanish is very similar. And, and I've argued the point that, hey, there are a lot of Portuguese people and students that are losing part of their heritage because we're not offering this class and of course, they eliminated the class for you know budget cuts. As as less money comes in, they have to make cuts, and so they make cuts 
you know, where they feel necessary. I don't agree with cutting uh, foreign language. I think it's a wonderful tool, and, and I think it helps your community. It helps people feel a little bit more connected. It helps people feel like they're, they really are part of it. So immigrants who are here that don't speak the language well, speak English well, you know, just to have, you know, able to know that their children are being taught in, in a foreign language, their children are being taught, you know, to understand their own language. Hanford High at the, at the time when I was in school uh, was teaching Brazilian Portuguese. And it was a little bit different than the slang Portuguese that I, that I knew from the islands. But I began to learn a lot of the proper words. And uh, it's it helped me out tremendously just to, to deepen my knowledge of the language that, that I love, just to have that, the, the proper terms for these things, rather than not just the conversational Portuguese that I knew, was very helpful. So I understand, of course, uh, as uh, your role in the Kings County Office of Education and how, it's, uh, how you explain to us, and thank you for doing that, is, uh, you know, cannot have a direct influence, can have indirect, but not direct influence. But if I'm a parent, of a student or two students. If I'm a parent that has a, a student going to uh, one of the high schools, uh, whether it be in Hanford Lamore or for that matter, any high school in the nation, and I want to, and I'm interested in having the Portuguese, how would I proceed? What do you think, what would you give? Because we have listeners, uh, thankfully all over the US, and this situation is not unique to Kings County. This situation is uh, uh, unfortunately present in many communities throughout the United States of America, the East Coast, uh, the West Coast, and in between. And so w what would you uh, advise, knowing the system well? I mean, you've been in one way or another in education, as, uh, in, in, in the governance of it, uh, since the beginning of 2000, so almost 20 years. So what could a parent, an, a, a, an interested parent, and an interested community, how would, uh, what would be the best way for them to start uh, lobbying the board, let's say, or organizing to get th that movement, because I'm of the belief, and tell me if I'm wrong, please, but I'm of the belief that interested parents, taxpaying parents, can make a big change in education if they want to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Dennis. Uh, and there is a process to take. And I, and I hope that, that parents have the integrity and the tenacity uh, to go through it. It's painstaking, but okay. it really does work. You got to remember that every every board member is elected, and every board member is like any other politician that is elected. They they thrive on the votes of their district. So what you have to do is have to have enough people come together to say, "Hey, I have a hundred people in your district that say we want Portuguese taught in our class," and then I guarantee you that that board member is going to begin to inquire with the superintendent to find out exactly how do we get that going and the numbers have to be big i mean mm -hmm. you have to get people that are willing to say and go to a board meeting and say hey we want portuguese taught and they will respond to the populace because again they look for your vote on election day and that means they will work for you and every superintendent that really sets the policy and the procedure that the school will take works for that board and so yeah, there is a way to do it, and, and that is it. You need to have the numbers well-organized that people can get together and say, hey, I passed around this petition. I have, you know, 500 signatures here that say we want Portuguese taught, and I guarantee you that will get their attention. So, so, so organizing, obviously. Would you, would you uh, advise 
um, as a beginning that people go directly to a board meeting or should they consult their own? Because we're all broken by districts now everywhere. So, or should they start uh, with their own uh, elected board supervisor or board trustee from their perspective, respective area first? Uh, no, you know, personally, I, I, I prefer the first option. And, and I okay. think you should go to the board and in public comment, there's always a pub, always a public comment arena at the beginning of a meeting where you can get up and you can say whatever you want. And so I always recommend people because that way the entire board, uh, the entire superintendent staff, everybody at that meeting hears the same thing. And then once you've brought it out to the public, and then I would pursue each individual board member in their district, uh, finding out what their district is, finding out, getting a, a good coalition of people in that district to then begin to petition that individual board member to, to act accordingly. And so, yeah, it's doable, but I believe bringing it up front in public from the beginning is the best way. Would you also, you know, you said numbers is a big thing. So having, you know, signatures on a petition, but what about also just providing some data around, you know, that Portuguese is the fourth most spoken language in the world and, you know, things like that, or even census data about how many Portuguese are actually in the district. Is that kind of information also useful yeah. or does that not play so much? No, that would be that, that that's a huge proponent of it right there. And, and those are the kind of facts and material that people need to be equipped with when they do begin to petition their, their, their board members and, and the entire board that they need to understand because a lot of them just don't know that. They really just don't understand it. They're doing stuff, whatever they got to do. Many board members, you know, like myself, you know, they have other jobs, they're working and they're sitting on that board, hopefully to accomplish a, a better, well-rounded education for the student population. And, and I believe it's important that they know those statistics, that they know that you know, there are a lot of Portuguese people, there are a lot of people that are interested, and there's a lot of them that would like to keep their language you know, refreshed in the community. What currently, so I know that your county, well, actually, can you give us a little bit of the demographic breakdown of your county? Because I'm thinking as far as like languages that are currently offered in schools, um, Spanish tends to be definitely one of the them. The number one. Yeah. 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 And, you know, when I was in when I was in high school, you know, you could also take German and French and uh, I don't even know if those exist still anymore. So tell us a little about the demographics of your county and what languages are currently offered. Yeah, the, dem the demographics are, are, are not really wide. I mean, we have a, you know, a huge Hispanic population uh, because, again, Kings County does cover a lot of the outskirt cities, as in Avenel and Corcoran, which is almost 85, 90 percent Hispanic. And so that, that changes our, our demographics. So probably Hispanic is probably the, the largest in, in the entire county. But we do have a, a black population. We have a lot of Asian. We have a good variety of people in Kings County. But yes, uh, the languages spoken, uh, I, I really, I couldn't even tell you right now what Hanford High offers. I know they don't offer Portuguese, but. The, the, high, schools, the high schools in Hanford, uh, Angela, and Lamore as well. Um, which is the two major cities in Kings County, and there's, of course, many others that Adam mentioned, are offering only Spanish and then American Sign Language. Wow. It's how they get around, unfortunately, to teaching WASC, the, the regional accreditation, you know, for all uh, schools and colleges. 
the Western accreditation for schools and colleges uh, that says that uh, schools must have a uh, world languages or foreign language department and it has to have two languages. And how they get a lot around that is they teach, of course, Spanish and then they use American Sign Language as a foreign language, which is kind of ironic because it's called American Sign Language, not right. World Sign Language. So how can it be foreign? However, that's how that's how they get around it. Uh, but it does have an opportunity. I, uh, you know, Adam is completely right from my perspective is that it, we do have an opportunity with in these Hispanic communities. And so that's something that we can even discuss at a, a future podcast. But of the uh, near 450 students taking Portuguese at all three Tulare high schools, over 65% are Hispanic. So if it was up to the Portuguese only, we would have less than uh, 40% uh, taking the classes. So uh, 60, over 60%, almost 65% are Hispanic. And the reason is because it's a natural. So if you are Hispanic and you speak Spanish at home, and most families that immigrated as the, uh, in the last few years do, obviously, then you can transition to Portuguese. And that's where those numbers that you mentioned, and Adam, thanks for mentioning that as well. That's where those numbers and that information of uh, being not only the, the fourth or fifth most spoken language on earth and all the numbers and all the economic terms, but also that it's a natural given for an Hispanic to learn a third language. So it's, it's a plus on it. But thank you, Adam, for bringing up that uh, the nuts and bolts of it, because a lot of times people don't know you know, what do I do? What's the first thing I should do? Yeah, no, it's 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 great that, and I believe the public just doesn't have, um, I don't know, I don't want to say a lot of knowledge in it, but they don't want to take the time to do it because it just takes that little bit of time, but you are going to have to stand up in front of a board and articulate, you know, what you want in a way that it sounds appealing that they want to get involved. And when you have enough numbers behind you, when you have it, when you can say, you know, I have enough people with me to say we want this to happen. Uh, they will make it happen. They they really will. The will of the people is very powerful. When you're talking to an elected official that is in that position by the will of the people, and so uh, I just wish more people understood the power that they had in their vote. Well, and just like anything, also, right? If if we want it we have to be willing to put in the effort to get it, right? We can't just stand by and complain, right? It's up to us to, to make a difference. But, so, But standing by and complaining is so easy. <laughs> yes, I know, right? <laughs> I do want to, I want to touch on what, what Dennis said there because uh, I think that is one of the greatest points is that a lot of the Hispanics, they actually, that I've talked to here, you know, they're disappointed because they would like to take Portuguese. Because it really is a feather in your hat when you can come out of high school and begin to head into college and to say that you are trilingual. I mean, when you can tell people, oh, no, no, I speak three languages, you know, all of a sudden it gives you a credibility that a lot of students don't have. And I know that colleges like that and that they, they look at a student that's a little bit more well-rounded that can speak, you know, English, Spanish and Portuguese all of a sudden they, they know that they have a student that has done a little bit more and it just makes him look so much more appealing to those college boards that are entering students in. They're going to like that. And they're, and it's going to be a, a good feather in their hat. That's a great point. And uh, I think also a great point to, to end on. We've hit our, our 30 minutes is, you know, our time is up, but um, this has been a great discussion and hopefully people will be inspired to take some action and get a petition going. You know, if there's Portuguese not offered in your school, it's not impossible, but it does take a little bit of effort to, uh, to Adam's point. 
so, well, thank you very much, Adam. Really appreciate you taking the time and having this conversation with us. And uh, thank you everybody out there for listening to another episode of Politicus. We hope that you have already subscribed. If you haven't, please hit subscribe now and share this conversation with friends and family and uh, join in the conversation. Let us know if there's other topics you want us to cover or discuss, or if you have somebody else that would be make, you know, would make a good guest. We are open to any and all suggestions and, uh, and thank you, Denise, my thank co-host you. extraordinaire. <laughs> and um, with that, we'll say thank you. So thank you again. Thank you, Adam. Um, it was great. No, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. And yes, uh, call on me if you need anything at any time. We Excellent. Sure yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.